Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald. Today, we're continuing our collaboration with the John H. Lounsbury College of Education to share their social justice dialogue series with our radio audience. On this edition of Georgia College Connections, we talk with Christine Sleater, Professor Emerita in the College of Professional Studies at California State University, Monterey Bay. A self-described author, speaker, teacher, and activist, Christine Sleater uses creative work to spark insight about respect for the diverse people who share space in classrooms, schools, and communities. She will conduct a workshop and deliver a keynote address on Thursday and Friday, February 15th and 16th, as part of the 2017-2018 Social Justice Dialogue Series put on by the John H. Lounsbury College of Education. Christine Sleater, welcome to Georgia College Connections. Thank you. Now, as we've collaborated with the Lounsbury College of Education to feature their social justice dialogue series, we've begun each of our conversations asking guests to reflect on social justice. In keeping with that theme, could you share your definition of social justice with our radio audience? For me, social justice means fairness across the board for everybody in a way that allows people to be who they are and not have to be somebody else in order to be treated fairly, um, both as an individual and as members of groups. An example of social justice would be working towards funding schools in an equitable manner, or everybody has access to housing. Um, where I live in California because of, for example, um, both not enough housing as well as very expensive housing. A lot of people don't have access to housing, and so you end up with a lot of homeless people. So those would be examples of what, for me, social justice would be. Our school systems, our educators are under so much uh, pressure these days to meet the requirements that they do have. Why do you think that a public education uh, should include these other things that come in addition to what many people consider the fundamentals, um, reading, writing, and arithmetic? Multicultural education actually isn't another thing that you add on to the schools, but rather it's a way that you go about teaching reading, writing, social studies, math, and everything else. For example, if we take literature, kids have to read something. It's not just reading in the abstract. To what extent are, as students reading, are students also gaining insights about the diverse other students who are in the schools? So it isn't just this extra add-on but rather it's the way you go about teaching what it is that you're teaching. Or even if you take something um, like science that a lot of people think doesn't have anything to do with cultural diversity. It does in the sense that historically there have been diverse ways that different cultural groups have approached science. Like for, say, a sixth grade teacher, there are ways that you can make science more relevant to the students that you have in your classrooms. For example, here in Monterey, we have a huge aquarium, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, that's done work with students in the public schools. And one of my former students, um, who's Latina, 
worked with Latino students in the Watsonville area to help them see themselves as scientists. And part of what she was doing was working on making science relevant to their lives, as well as um, incorporating in some Spanish where that was relevant. It was a way that she saw of bridging culture and identity and science because a lot of the Latino students were saying that science, that's something that white people do, and it's actually something everybody does. But that was how she was working to approach science to try to make it culturally relevant to kids. So that's another example of where multicultural education isn't an add-on, but rather it's the way you approach the business of schooling. It's not like an end in itself, but it's a tool that you would use to engage people in the curriculum that, that you have? Yes. When I'm working with teachers, I also try to have them think critically about the goals that they're trying to work toward. So, and this may show up most pointedly in the social studies curriculum, where the traditional curriculum that's built around a narrative of white people coming from Europe to the East Coast and then moving across the continent westward and building this great nation, that's one narrative, but that's not the narrative that if you center the study of U.S. history from an African-American perspective or you center the study of U.S. history from an indigenous perspective, you get a different narrative. So then it's not simply making the traditional U.S. history sort of more relevant to diverse students, but it's really opening up bigger questions about who we are, who we've been historically, what our various viewpoints and stories are, and how we can learn across those stories in order to build a country that's actually more workable for all of us. What is the value for the students of hearing stories that are similar to their own reflected in the curriculum? The value of of hearing stories that are similar to yours make school more relevant and accessible to you. For white students, white students generally go through school hearing more stories that are similar to their own than students of color. But that you can kind of break out by white students who are poor are less likely to hear stories that are similar to their own than white students of middle class background. Gay and lesbian students are less likely to hear stories that are their own than our heterosexual students. So it isn't just race, ethnicity, but it cuts across multiple identity groups. A study that was done by a woman named Terry Epstein in New York, she interviewed students at the elementary, middle school, and high school level. She interviewed African-American students and white students about their perception of social studies. And what she found was that the white students generally, the stories that they were hearing in their social studies classes resonated with the stories that they were hearing at home kind of all the way through their schooling. And so they tend to trust the the school, the textbooks, because there was this this resonance in what they were hearing. For the African-American students, the older they got, the more they were learning to distrust the textbooks and the, the teachers and the school because the stories that they had learned at home conflicted in many ways with the stories that they were learning at school. So like where at school they would learn about 
the United States working to guarantee rights for everybody. And at home, they were learning about ways in which African-American people repeatedly, their rights are being violated. And so it's like, well, which stories are correct? And by not having a viewpoint that was the viewpoint that was experienced within their own communities, what a lot of the kids were learning is to distrust school. And I don't think that's what we as educators actually want to have happen. You're listening to a conversation with educator Christine Sleeter. She'll speak at the next installment of the John H. Lounsbury College of Education's Social Justice Dialogue Series, which takes place on February 15th and 16th on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. For more information, go to gcsu.edu slash education. We continue now our conversation with Christine Sleeter, the featured speaker in the next installment of the John H. Lounsbury College of Education's Social Justice Dialogue Series. Is there a disadvantage that is being put upon these students who may be in, um, shall we say, like the majority group when they are presented with a curriculum that only focuses on one group? Yeah, because they don't develop a very good understanding of the issues that they see in the world around them. It was a really interesting study that was done several years ago in which the authors gave three versions of a piece of curriculum. It was about Jackie Robinson, the first African-American professional league baseball player. And they had three different ways of writing the story. One way was no mention of race at all. And the fact that Jackie Robinson was black wasn't in the story at all. The second version mentioned things related to race. So the fact that Jackie Robinson was black, that he'd grown up in a black neighborhood, that the all white leagues didn't have black players, that information was included. The third version included information about race and racism in the broader context of the story. So the fact that the white baseball leagues were discriminating racially against African-American players by not allowing them to play, and so then you had the black leagues, and there was just more historical context about racism in the story. They taught this to fifth graders, then did a study of how both white and black fifth graders related to the different stories. And what was very interesting, and I think counterintuitive for a lot of people, is that for the white students, it was the third version that they found the most interesting and educative. For the African-American students, they related mostly to the third version. But the third version, it wasn't so much something new and different because it related to what they already knew. For the white students, Though the third version, which gave an anti-racist perspective on Jackie Robinson's life and work, it gave them insights that they otherwise weren't getting. And what the authors wrote about is that for white students growing up, 
white students see things related to race, ethnicity all the time, but don't develop a framework for understanding what they're seeing. And white students encounter people of color quite a bit, but if they don't develop a knowledge base and a framework for understanding, at some point, they sort of are aware that I'm missing something. And this kind of takes me back to when I first went into teaching. I grew up in a almost all white area in Southern Oregon and signed up for a teacher preparation program that was based in inner city Seattle for learning to teach in urban schools. And I got there and had no preparation, no framework, no background for understanding and relating to the people that I was with, other from the fact that I'd spent a summer in Japan. So I had had the experience of being a racial minority in a culturally different setting. But I immediately began reading books written by African-Americans and books written by Latinos in order to try to help make up for the education that I hadn't had that was so blatantly, painfully obvious to me. For white people, having an education that really reflects the diverse viewpoints, and some of the material can be very painful and difficult to deal with. But without that, very often white people do realize that there's something missing in our education. How important is it for white people to gain that kind of self-consciousness? Oh, I think it's critically important. In this moment, politically, when you hear the kind of back-and-forth name-calling and sometimes hear a lot of things that people say that really reflect a lot of ignorance, like the reflexive equating of immigrants with lawbreakers, immigrants with killing people. Well, some immigrants have killed people and a lot of non-immigrants have killed people. But there's a inability to dialogue nationally across groups in a way that, that we can develop solutions to living together that work better. We'll periodically talk about the nation needs to have a dialogue around race, and then forums will be held, and then we'll kind of go back to business as usual. And it gets to be kind of distressing, because I do know that in the classroom, we can build the capacity for being able to listen and work across our differences. I know that because I learned how to do that in my own classrooms. And I know other people who have learned to do that in their classrooms. And there's actually a, a large body of research that's been done mostly in higher education around the impact of ethnic studies or women's studies courses on helping students learn to engage across differences. And it finds that students can learn to engage across differences. And their level of awareness and understanding about issues related to racism and sexism, it can be elevated in a way that's actually educational. And I think what a lot of people misunderstand about this kind of work in schools is that people sometimes think that it means that the teacher is coming in and preaching a liberal ideology and that the teacher is, is kind of telling the students what they're supposed to think. And when this work is actually done well, rather than the teacher 
teaching a particular point of view and saying, now you have to agree with me. What the teacher should be doing is opening up diverse viewpoints in the classroom and helping the students learn to listen and dialogue across diverse viewpoints. And that's a more complicated way of teaching, I think. But it's what students can get really interested in and the kind of teaching that we need on a much larger scale than we have right now. You're listening to a conversation with educator Christine Sleeter. She'll speak at the next installment of the John H. Lounsbury College of Education's Social Justice Dialogue Series, which takes place on February 15th and 16th on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. For more information, go to gcsu.edu education. We continue now our conversation with Christine Sleeter, the featured speaker in the next installment of the John H. Lounsbury College of Education's Social Justice Dialogue Series. Through the course of your career, we've seen multicultural education flower and blossom, and it's becoming something that many uh, states are actually looking into as possibly becoming a requirement of their educational curriculum. Do you think that an educator um, must be committed to these ideas themselves on a personal level uh, to be able to teach them effectively in, in the classroom? Yes. You can't just go through a short training that doesn't have you look critically at yourself and what you're trying to accomplish and your relationships with kids and do this very well. I'm reminded of sitting in a classroom once a number of years ago where the teacher was trying to figure out how to make something more relevant to this very diverse student population she had. Um, this was a, a middle school teacher um, in an English class and started off the discussion of a story that was set in Puerto Rico. She wanted to start it off with a discussion of students and who they were culturally. So she asked the question, um, what nationality are you? And for white people, often that means what's your ethnic background, but it actually technically means where are you a citizen of? And so if she, if she had any undocumented students in the classroom right there, that would be a threatening question. But there hadn't ever been a context in the class for the students to be able to talk about their backgrounds anyway. And so for African-American students, if the images that they have are the kind of deficiency images of Africa as sort of the dark, dangerous continent that never produced anything, saying that I'm of African descent is that can be threatening. So essentially what happened, some of the white students started saying, oh, I'm um, French or I'm Swiss. Or then um, one of the African-American students said, oh, I'm Chinese. And another student of color threw out like, oh, I'm from France. And, and they, they kind of sabotaged the lesson because the teacher didn't understand what she was doing. And she didn't really have the background, hadn't put in the preparation. She wanted to do something. 
but she hadn't really invested herself in trying to unpack what the issues actually were with working with the student population around issues of diversity so that she could do it well. So as a teacher educator, I don't actually like going in and doing short workshops because people can walk away thinking that things are simpler than they are and then try something in the classroom and then it doesn't work very well. Um, I will be doing a four-hour workshop at the college on uh, Thursday, but what I'll mainly be doing is trying to help people understand what culturally responsive and multicultural social justice teaching, what that means and what it can look like in the classroom. But then if for people who are new to it, it's going to take some work to really get in and learn how to do this stuff well. But I think it is critically important to learn to do. Right now, uh, students of color are something like 51% of the population of students in elementary and secondary public education. So anybody who's going into education can anticipate that they will have a diverse student population at some point in their teaching career. It may be from the first day onward. It may be by year three or year four, but our student populations are becoming much more diverse. So I think that this is critically important work for teachers to learn how to do. And I tell people that if I, growing up in Medford, Oregon, could learn how to do culturally responsive, multicultural social justice education well in the classroom. Now, I've fallen on my face a lot while I've been learning. But if I can learn to do it, so can you. On that end, what advice would you have for someone like myself, a white male? How can I get past my apprehensions and begin those conversations that would put me in a context more resembling the world in which I live? A couple of things. One of them is to learn to form relationships with your students. That's like number one anywhere. And if your students are students of color, form relationships in which you're as much of a learner and a listener as anything else. Also, get out into communities that are different from where you grew up as a learner and a listener. Um, I spent... Um, quite a bit of time while I was learning to teach, living in communities in Seattle, inner city communities, in which my neighbors and then gradually my friends were of racial ethnic backgrounds different from my own. And I spent a lot of time listening, because if I had gone in and immediately started getting into arguments with people, that kind of shuts down communication. And the other thing, in addition to dialogue and listening and forming relationships, is to read. Um, I mentioned that I started doing ethnic studies reading when I first started teaching. And I'd pick books up and didn't really have a background to understand what I was reading very well. So there was a lot I read that kind of, I think, went over my head initially. But gradually, I started acquiring the academic background that I hadn't acquired growing up, even though I went through really good public schools and college, it was still very, very much a white curriculum and white point of view. And there's a whole lot that is available for reading, books and articles and stuff that, that keeps getting produced. And so through a combination of dialoguing with people and being a listener and reading, that can help go a long way toward understanding where other people are coming from. But I really also believe that forming personal relationships is just critically 
critically important um, because when you when you actually get to know somebody as a human being and you, you discover you know that you have more things in common than ways that you're different um, and gradually become less afraid of the differences partly through the education that you're trying to put yourself through and then also just partly through enjoying time being with that other person that goes a long way toward helping us learn how to become people who can work well in multicultural contexts and if you're a member of our radio audience tonight, um, perhaps you're a parent or maybe even a student or, or just an engaged uh, community member, and you like what you're hearing about this and want to see it implemented in your school system, how do you recommend uh, going about getting that conversation started and seeing it through to a successful implementation in your school, your school district, or maybe even your state? Whoever you are. Find other people who are also interested in making the same kinds of changes and look around and find the teachers who are because I think pretty much every place I've been, there are teachers who get really excited about this kind of work and there are some who do it really well. And collaborating with those teachers in addition to collaborating with other community members um, makes a difference. Sometimes people have worked by going to the school board and making proposals, although you need then to figure out what it is that you're actually proposing. But yeah, that's that kind of networking, organizing work. If, if you're persistent with it, you can get someplace. Now, those are all the questions I have for you. I just want to turn it over to you now. Is there anything that I did not ask you, or is there anything that you that we did talk about that you'd like to place greater emphasis on? And my keynote, what I'm going to be doing is talking about the use of family history as a way of opening up issues related to culture, racism, and other equity issues, but I'll be focusing mostly on culture, race, and racism, and colonialism. And I've started doing family history with teachers, partly because I became interested in my own family history. And then when I started connecting what I was investigating in relationship to my own family history with the issues that I'd been working on in multicultural curriculum, I kind of broadened how we think about doing family history. So I developed this line of work called critical family history. And I'm going to demonstrate what that research and thinking process looks like. And one of the questions that I'll look at is for those of us who are white and who have lost the sense of the cultures um, and languages that our ancestors brought, what happened? In my case, on my father's side of the family, they were German. And as I researched my family history, I became much more knowledgeable about why it is that I grew up not knowing anything about German-American history. The other piece that I'll be talking about is how I became conscious of being a descendant of the colonizers of indigenous people, and in very concrete terms, what that has ended up meaning to me, and how I can deal with, in a constructive way, of being a descendant of the colonizers in a way that I think can start reversing some historical injustices. 
Uh, Christine Sleater, I just want to thank you for spending this time uh, with us here on Georgia College Connections tonight. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to being with you and everybody else in the college next week. You've been listening to a conversation with education scholar Christine Sleater about the value of a multicultural approach to teaching America's next generation. Christine Sleater will conduct a workshop and deliver the keynote during the next installment of the John H. Lounsbury College of Education's Social Justice Dialogue Series, which takes place on Thursday and Friday, February 15th and 16th on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. For more information, go to gcsu.edu slash education. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on Georgia College Connections. I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.